Will sounds gun. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Stinking Paws podcast. Hi, Scott here, as usual. Just to mix things up a bit, there's no Paul, there's no Liam. There's certainly no sign of Charlie. He's gone missing in action for about two years now. Um, But I'm joined by the ever-dependable co-host of the Real Britannia podcast today to talk about a real classic from 1939, Mr Smith Goes to Washington. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to you, mate. Yes, I don't know uh, what I'm dependable for, but I'm certainly <laughs> happy to, to come in, uh, come on and chat classic films with you again um, outside of the uh, the British spectrum. So here I am. Again, it's, it's Sunday morning we're recording this, which is our usual Real Britannia slot. And, and you reminded me, literally, just before I open my mouth, don't forget it's a stinking pause. And I'm like, oh, God, it's difficult because we, we, do, <laughs> we talk so many... British classic movies on a Sunday morning. It's make, making a great change for me to actually sit and talk about classic Hollywood with you. Particularly this year, this 1939 business, which I'm going to spend a bit of time on. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. I mean, you know, OK, the, the, the intro to the podcast doesn't always go smoothly, even when it is um, Real Britannia. But I can understand the confusion with, you know, sitting down with me and you're used to doing the other one. But... It's a great opportunity for me to be able to, you know, speak about these classic films from the wider world, and and absolutely, nineteen thirty nine is, uh, it's just one of those years. You were quite polite there because I thought you were going to mention my age, or even like me actually being about in nineteen thirty nine to have seen these first time round, but. No doubt the insults will come flying thick and fast as we carry on chatting. No point in using all my material right at the beginning, no. Um. Okay, let's take a short break. I'm sure there is a marvellous trailer for this because I saw it, I think, on the Blu-ray copy that I watched the other night. Here it is. It's Mr Smith Goes to Washington, 1939. We'll be back after this. Trailer! 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 goes to Washington is a significant picture. It is significant because it emphasizes democracy in action. I consider it a real privilege and a real experience to have played even a minor part under the distinguished direction of Frank Cameron. By far the greatest picture of filmdom's top director, three-time winner of the coveted Academy Award, the most timely, the most vital, the most significant picture ever to come out of Hollywood.
homespun boy and a hard-boiled, worldly-wise girl in a picture carved out of the everyday lives of everyday Americans with those inimitable Capra overtones of drama, laughter and romance, plus the finest supporting cast ever assembled. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, released in the USA, 19th of October, 1939. Directed by Frank Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart, Gene Arthur, Thomas Mitchell, Claude Rains, Eugene Pallett's in there, Beulah Bondi, H.B. Warner, Harry Carey, and somebody called Grant Mitchell, who we discovered when we were looking through this earlier. (laughs) The synopsis. Now listen to this. I am going for the first time to get a synopsis from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, he says. <laughs> and the reason I've chose this, it gives a far better storyline than IMDb or Wikipedia. So, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the story concerns Jefferson Smith, played by James Stewart, a hokey, idealistic youth leader who is appointed to the US Senate by his state's political authorities on the assumption that he'll be a pliable stooge. However, When he proposes a national youth camp on the site of a crooked land deal he was expected to approve, his benefactors, as well as the state's senior senator, Claude Rains, turn against him. Disillusioned by the corruption of Washington, Smith nearly leaves town but is persuaded by his secretary, Gene Arthur, to mount an impassioned challenge to the system in the form of a marathon filibuster. And in the popular climatic scene, one of the few in film history that hinges on a legislative tactic try saying that with my teeth Smith successfully exposes the attempted graft and wins the day as you are aware Jimmy Stewart is my favourite actor surprisingly few Jimmy Stewart movies in the history of the Sinking Pause podcast very very few before we get cracking into this and I want to talk about the 1939 thing in a second your history with this movie mate how many times have you seen it is it, is it something that you turn to quite often I think I've seen it five times, maybe. Um, So not a massive amount, and certainly not anywhere near the amount of times that you've seen it. Um, You'll be surprised. And I think I haven't seen it probably for three or four years. Yeah. Um, So it's not one I return to like every year, but it's one that I do uh, return to periodically. And and certainly um, for me... There's, there's a familiarity about it, which is, and I know I'm going to in, enjoy the film. But also, I think because of the way in which it's it's got so many good things in it, I think that that gap in watching it allows me to come back and I've forgotten a few of the nuances, which I then see again and go, oh, I've forgotten about that. So, um, so yes, I, I you know, it's, I think I first encountered it. Um, quite late, really. I think I first um, gave it a proper watch, although I'd seen bits of it, gave it a proper watch. I think I was in my early 20s. Okay. I think. So. You've probably just replicated what I was going to say, because surprisingly, this is about the only the third or the fourth time I've seen it. Right. It sounds a bit remarkable, considering my love for Jimmy Stewart <coughs> and Frank Capra. Yeah. 
with this movie, I think it falls under the category. It's one of my own personal categories. It's one of those films that is so good, I don't want familiarity to ruin it for me. Um, similar to you, I like that when I watched it a couple of nights ago and it was on the projector on the big screen for the first time, it was still magical. It still seemed quite fresh. And again, like you said, mate, it still managed to hold a couple of surprises for me. Um, my, my turn to Jimmy Stewart movies, just that reason, seen many, many more times than this. You know, Harvey, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the, definitely I could double figures with all of that. And I think I'd find it impossible to in your sort of Jimmy Stewart top ten. I, I don't think I could actually do that because all of them have sort of something very special to me. It's the man himself. Even a bad Jimmy Stewart movie, like, say, I don't know, The Magic of Lassie or Dear Brigitte, which were like the ones he did in the 60s, they still hold, like, a certain charm for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Is um, You know, his performance can, you know, stand out and, and um, still be a joy, um, even if the rest of the film isn't quite, quite up to the quality. <laughs> Now, I want to touch on this 1939 business. We reviewed Only Angels Have Wings a few months back now, which is from the same year, 1939. And we mentioned at the time, it's one of my favourite years in Hollywood, it's the golden year of classic Hollywood productions. Now, what you have to remember at this time, Columbia, who made the movie, didn't really have the star power of, say, MGM or Warner Brothers. They didn't have a Clark Gable. They didn't have a Humphrey Bogart, you know. And their only sort of asset, their main asset at this time, was Frank Capra, the director. Because now, when you think about it, we're talking 1939, right, mate? Now, the Oscars had only been in existence for 12 years. 1927 was the first Oscars ceremony, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Cap, at this point, had been, had won. No, actually, he nom- he'd been nominated Best Director in 33, 34, 36, 30, and 1939. Right? He won it in 34 for It Happened One Night, again in 36 for Mr Deeds Goes to Town, and again the year before this one, 1938, was Best Director for You Can't Take It With You. So in a 12-year stretch of Oscar history, he's already top of the tree rightly putting him up there as one of the greatest directors Hollywood has ever produced yeah now check the figures okay he held the record for most best director Oscars until 1941 John Ford received his third in 1941 William Wyler got his third in 1959 so there's the three of them battling right up to 1959 on three best director Oscars each um but then John Ford, uh, The Quiet Man, which I think was 52. So, this sounds like a bit of a lecture, doesn't it? But you're, you're listening attentively. Sorry, I'm, listen- I'm you- listening attentively, yeah. <laughs> 39, monumental year for Hollywood. Right, I've said this many, many times. My favourite year for, for movies. Probably best highlighted by the 12th Academy Awards that took place in 1940. Okay. If I remember rightly, the usual place, the Coconut Grove, at the I think it's the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. That's where it was for years and years and years. Now, back then, there was no, surprisingly, there was no best film category. No, no, this is, um, you know, in the early stages when they, they had, um, 
they had the categories were were you know somewhat different in a number of respects to yep. what we're used to today, and we think it's always been like that. But yep. um, as is today, but no, it was it was different, quite a lot different, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. In this case, it was known as the Outstanding Production Award, which is up for grabs in this particular year. We've said this many times before on the show, but listen to this: you had Wuthering Heights, The Wizard of Oz, Stagecoach, Of Mice and Men, Ninochka. Love Affair, Goodbye Mr. Chips, Dark Victory, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Gone with the Wind. That list could quite possibly make up somebody's top ten movie list of all time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, there's, you know, the, the, the films from this year were trailblazers in many respects, ones that were, you know, later um, pointed out as being... The, the inspiration for other films and also for the start of, of a way of doing films um, mm. in, in a certain respect. So it was monumental, really. Yeah, well, even not included on the list of nominees, right? You've still got Only Angels Have Wings, which we spoke about a few months ago. Yeah. Young Mr. Lincoln, Gunga Din, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Roaring Twenties, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and Jamaica Inn. And they didn't even get a look in, you know. So... Mr. Smith Goes to Washington has got to be something special, otherwise it's going to get lost amongst all of that lot, because cracking titles, all sort of 15, 20 titles I've just mentioned there. Just touching on the Oscars before we go into our review proper, mate, you look at the list of nominees for Best Director, it's incredible. You've got Frank Capra, William Wyler and John Ford, who we've already mentioned. They're all nominated this year, along with Sam Wood and Victor Fleming. Wyler, Ford and Capra, 10 Best Director uh, Oscar winners, eventually. Best was won by Robert Donat for Goodbye Mr Chips. Uh, a bit of a shock, because he would have been on Clark Gable for Gone With The Wind, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, look at this list of names. In contention, Laurence Olivier for Wuthering Heights, Mickey Rooney for Babes In Arms and Jimmy Stewart for Mr Smith. You don't get a line-up like that anymore. You know, when you look down, you think they are genuine classic you know, golden era Hollywood actors. Yeah, it's what called the you know the Hollywood royalty, wasn't it? Yeah. Really. Well, look at this lot for the best actress nominated. Vivian Lee won it for Gone with the Wind. Up against her, Betty Davis, Greta Garbo, Greer Garson, and Irene Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> How could you choose between that lot? Best supporting actors: Claude Rains for Mr. Smith, Brian Don Levy, Harry Carey, Brian Ahern, and Thomas Mitchell. Now, Thomas Mitchell's in Mr. Smith. But he won it for Stagecoach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then the best supporting actress, quite famously and quite rightly, was won by Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind. Uh, she was up with up against Haviland, Geraldine Fitzgerald, Edna May Oliver, and a lady called Maria Uspenskaya for Love Affair. Don't even know who she is. Mr. Smith did actually win an award for Best Story, which was awarded to Louis R. Foster. Oh, got something then. Yeah. yeah. Just going to finish off, mate, you know, this is my little Oscars lecture for you. An amazing year. A lot of people don't appreciate the relevance or the importance of the Academy Awards, but I've said before on this show, it's the glamour, the romance, the whole spectacle that epitomises the golden age of Hollywood for me. And again, just some more facts and figures for you. I've jotted all this down the other day because it's just like I needed to talk about this. Gone with the Wind, 13 nominations, one eight. Mr Smith, 11 nominations, only the one. 
Wuthering Heights got nominated eight times. Goodbye, Mr. Chips and Stagecoach seven. I could go on. I could bore you with even more trivia, like the fact that David O. Selznick was awarded the Irving G. Thalborg Memorial Award, or Judy Garland received the yeah, the Academy Juvenile Award. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, it may have been a one-off. I won't bore you anymore, mate, but I just want to say it really was a magical time in Hollywood, and this is what this era sort of gave me my love for classic movies. And you can yeah, see why in just one year. Yeah, it's important to, to bring attention to it because it is, you know, if if there is a peak year for filmmaking in, in, in the golden age of, of Hollywood, then this is, is the peak year. Mm. And um, as you say, this was at a time that so early in the um, Oscars um, history that they hadn't really got to the stage where there was Oscar fodder, as we talk about in the modern age, Oscar where things Bates that were, and, yeah, you know, yeah. an Oscar bait, yeah. um, where, where um, things were sort of a, a certain type of a certain amount of earnestness and, and et cetera, that were seen as being, you know, deliberately trying to um, catch an Oscar. These were things that were, that were done for their own sake and just happened to be um, catching the eye for the Oscars at the time. And, you know, for all the criticism there is of the Oscars, and as I say, I'm, I'm you know, I tend to be uh, more cynical about the Oscars in the modern age than, than yourself. Um, mm. I know you, as I say, I know you, is the spectacle, but um, yeah, back then there was, there was a lot more credibility to um, them because they were trying to make them, you know, still at the stage where they were trying to establish their credibility as an award-giving body, really. Yeah. So, so if they weren't going to um, have that that credibility, then the the whole thing would, you know, we wouldn't remember what the Oscars were nowadays. It's just been a, a another award ceremony that's gone into the, the history. Yeah. So, um, but there was absolutely it's amazing that you look along um, the films that were being done at the time. And there's, you know, so many of the films were was just scattered with luminaries <laughs> of of this era. You know, you got Barbara Stanwyck in in things, and um, John Wayne, and you know, it, it's it's just they're, they're all throughout all these different films that are around, and some of them, you know, in their own right, might have ended up being um, higher up the the board as far as credibility and, and getting awards and stuff, if it wasn't for the fact that there were a few standout ones to um, really take the whole um, notice and, you know, like The Wizard of Oz and, and as we say, with this particularly with Mr. Smith going to Augusta Washington, um, had that um, specialness to it mm. that meant it rose above even that cream of the crop really that was being been produced yeah I mean you're like me that today you very rarely will go to the cinema unless it's something you have a particular interest or you particularly want to see I think the last thing I think you went to was Jojo Rabbit wasn't it it was yeah and you hadn't been for several months prior to that I'd probably a year to 18 months there since I've been to the cinema before yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so the the actual cinema going experience, um, yeah, to to see something new, it, there's there's not a lot to to pull me in. And obviously, this area that we're talking about, the only way to experience films back then was to actually see mm. them at the cinema. So, could um, you imagine if we're struggling to find something now that we particularly want to watch? All right, 
this time of year it's a bit easier because all the Oscar nominated stuff, the good movies are released January, February time. But I was struggling throughout the summer to actually find something to go and watch at the cinema. You imagine what it was like in 1939 with that list of movies there. You, you'd be, you know, having to choose particular weeks what one to see because there'd be like two or three of those great movies released at the same time. And the difficulty is, particularly for, you know, the British audience at the time, was that, you know, they get things a bit later as well. Yeah. But also the fact that in order to make sure things, they got the money's worth out of things, um, the, the, the cinemas would actually put on, um, you know, these things for weeks at a time. Mm. So it wasn't like you would get a different film every week. You'd be, you know, um, so there was so much out there, it would be difficult to actually see it all. Um, yeah. for a number of reasons but as you say nowadays it's the way around really it's um trying to find the the the, the gems uh, amongst the, the sand really and um and, and pick out the the wheat from the chaff really but then you were kind of overburdened i mean you could probably just um sit down every night and watch a, a film from 1939 and go for months without um watching anything that didn't um didn't make an impression upon you one way or another to be honest so yeah. well this film in particular you're saying about over here in the uk we were probably quite lucky we got to see it at all because there was a lot of stink about this movie wasn't there they tried to get it banned for overseas audiences i know there was um john f kennedy's father yes. an ambassador over here the state from the states in, in the uk and he was he was very down upon it as being that it shouldn't be um, exported because of the fact of what it gave as an impression of <laughs> democracy and, and etc. But then on the other side, it was it was used as a actually showing um, the benefits of democracy. And I think it was um, the last film played in many of the cinemas before there was a ban put in by the Nazis in um, in Paris. Ah, uh, right. They, after they invaded, there was. There were, you know, there's a notice period saying that after this date you can't play any any American films or yeah. British films, and um, I think that there was some of the cinemas that just played this one um, right up until, you know, for for a month or two, right up until um, the cutoff date when they weren't allowed to show it anymore, just as a, a nod towards American democracy, mm. um, as flawed as it as it is, <laughs> um, you know, especially in modern times. Yeah. But I don't think. That's, but we'll get on to that. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, it, the, the history of it, it was it was seen as being something that could be used against America, but in, in actual fact, in, in many ways, its history shows it's being used to show the benefits and how American democracy is something to be lauded rather than something that's going to reflect badly upon it, I think. Well, let's talk about the film itself specifically. I mean, you're a fan of Jimmy Stewart as much as I am. Yeah. And this has gone down in history as perhaps one of his finest performance. From an acting point of view, he just gives it 120% here. And it's easy to see why. It's still fairly early in his career, but it's easy to see why that how he became that sort of all-American hero, that actor that everybody loved. There was nothing to hate about Jimmy Stewart he won the Oscar the following year here I go back with my Oscar history again sorry about this yeah. but he won it the following year for Philadelphia story so this is the beginning of the Jimmy Stewart avalanche let's say originally this was going to be a vehicle for Gary Cooper 
and the script was going to be slightly different because of Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. It was going to be called yeah. Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington, I believe, I read somewhere. I think I've read that somewhere yeah. in the past. But it was tweaked, and then they sort of changed it with Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur particularly in mind for the lead roles. And, and Gene Arthur, I think she appeared as his wife or his girlfriend in about three or four movies, didn't she? She went on, and, and Beulah Bondi played his mother in about three or four different movies. You, you she got did, the, yeah, despite the, the fact that the, the ages weren't that, no, that dramatically apart with us. So. We spoke about that before, didn't we? I think it's um, it's in A Wonderful Life, isn't it? The, yeah. We noticed that the age difference wasn't particularly great. But if you look down this cast list, it is Capra's stock cast, basically. Yeah. When you look at Thomas Mitchell, H.B. Warner, they were all in It's a Wonderful Life amongst other movies as well. And it's again, it's that familiarity, and it's you know that this is a Frank Capra movie. You know you're going to be in for something special, but you also know what sort of genre it's going to be as well. It's the small town boy does good or something, you know. It's, it's going to be some adversity that has to be overcome. And this done in quite a remarkable way. I mean, we'll talk about the whole Philly Buster thing towards towards the end. But even the build-up to it, the thing with Jimmy Stewart for me is he's just always so believable and so natural in every role that he's he's involved in. He does often play, uh, you know, um, accentuated in in characters in regards to their naivety or, yes. or um, etc. But he does. He does it in a believable way, um, which is, you know, key to his presence on screen and um, us buying into the film, because you know it could have well been done by somebody else and come across as being over exaggerated, and you just wouldn't accept it. And I think it's a fine line for him to be sailing as an actor and also for the director, you know, directing him to be able to get that, and it takes. The combination, really, of, of Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra to try and um, get the the two together to actually work, rather than it end up um, just being unbelievable. This previous senator has died suddenly, and the powers that be, the governor, are fully aware that there's this bill going through to to flood the is it to build a dam, isn't it, and to flood a certain part of the yeah the state. And he's got a choice of two possible replacements. There's a guy called Hopper, and then there's Jimmy Stewart. And he can't decide between the two. And what I liked about this particular thing is he flips the coin at the beginning. And it lands on its side, doesn't it? Or, is it, or has he got no, a choice he's, of he's three? Got, he's, got the, he's, got, he's got the choice between two two people who um, that have been put forward by the, the powers behind the throne as, as such. And, mm. and Governor Hopper has also had it put forward by, by people about this um, third option and which he's actually you know in some way considered but then that was poo-pooed by the powers that be being yeah. you know power behind the throne and when he flips the coin when it lands on its edge he takes that as his cue to to go for this third option because it's uh, right next to a newspaper story about him isn't it that's yeah, right absolutely, yeah yes and he's the he's like the sort of the Boy Scout leader for the entire um, in, state and yeah. his newspaper that he does as far as putting out to the Boy Scouts, it's, you know, it's so popular that, you know, it's read by the Boy Scouts, but not by the parents, but then every one of those Boy Scouts has got two parents. Yeah. So, you know, he, <laughs> he goes along with this because the, the governor has, you know, it's the American system, the governor has the right to appoint a senator to replace one that has, has left office 
midterm before an election is actually done. Yeah. Um, so using that power, that's why they're trying to to rig it um, in their favour. But he he does use the the, the coin toss, um, which lands on its edge to, as a as a cue mm. to pick the rank outsider of. of Jimmy Stewart's character, Jefferson Smith. Yeah, and you say in the Boy Scouts, they're not referred to as the Boy Scouts in this. Not allowed to be, no, because no. the Boy Scouts didn't allow that. So Boy Rangers or something, Boy Rangers. I think it was. Yeah, it, it was again. It was to do with the the whole political aspect of this movie. I think they objected to. They didn't want their name associated with it. So it becomes the the American Rangers or the Boy Rangers, doesn't it? Yeah. So almost immediately, within sort of ten fifteen minutes, because this is a it's, it's over two hours, just over two hours, this movie, which didn't seem like two hours watching it, that's for sure. No. But within ten minutes, he's there. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and, you know, you've got these remarkable scenes of him looking at all the landmarks, in particular the Lincoln Memorial, and, and you just get this real sense of he just wants to do right. Even though he, he feels a bit out of depth, He's been given this great opportunity because at the back of his mind he's got this this bill that he wants to put through. Now ex- explain this to me, mate. Something to do with the nickels and dimes being paid in by the Boy Scouts well, to create... He, yeah, he, he turns up expecting to just do the job of just supporting this um, the other senator who he respects so, so much and was a friend of his father. And That's so, it, yeah. So he turns up expecting not to do anything and then... Um, he gets it gets pointed out to him that he really should be doing the job of being a senator and therefore one of the things is to put forward a bill. And the idea is that they'll put forward a bill and it's not going to go anywhere, isn't it? it's just going to get so tied up in in the process that it wouldn't ever come to fruition before he ended up leaving office anyway. So yeah. it's it's just it's just keeping him occupied really to stop him from looking into other things. Unfortunately his bill, which is to establish a, a summer camp for the boys of America, basically, to be able to go and get back to nature and get back to American values, in a way. The site of that camp is a site that he knows particularly well, which just happens to be the same place where, the um, unbeknownst to him, <laughs> the um, the dam is going to be built, um, which is going to make the powers that be um, a, a massive amount of money. Yeah. So he unwittingly um, comes up with something that's going to interfere with their plans and sets him on a collision course really with with the powers that be yeah and the senator and it's at the urging of, of his you know his his cynical you know politics weary um secretary um <laughs> that he picks up which is, is gene arthur yes who i think is brilliant in this it's it's a bit of a comic nice sort of comic relief in something that could be quite heavy i mean you look at this on paper you wouldn't really choose to watch this movie. You think, oh, that just sounds a bit too serious. That's all a bit a bit too political, a bit too heavy-handed. But it's not. It's done in, well, Capra-esque is in, is in the dictionary, isn't it? It's, a, it's done in a Capra-esque way by introducing people like Thomas Mitchell and Gene Arthur to provide that, that light sort of comic relief. As I say, there's a great line Thomas Mitchell says when he's walking out of the office. And I think I'm going to use it. He says, I'm going to go out and drink this one over, he says, rather than think this <laughs> <laughs> But let's, let's go back to the senator, Claude Rains. And again, you're talking about Beulah Bondi earlier. I don't think there was a great deal of difference in the ages between Jimmy Stewart and Claude Rains at this point. Um, but they've, they've whitened his hair and said he was a friend of his father. But Claude Rains, British actor. He was born in South London, if I remember rightly. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, Camberwell, I think. I might be getting him mixed up with Charlie Chaplin. He was definitely South London. I mean, we know him, obviously, from Casablanca. Uh, the yeah. Invisible Man would have been before this, I think. Uh, Mr. Skeffington. Loads and loads and loads of different... Notorious, I think he was in yeah. as well. Yes. Great actor. I mean, again, when we said we were looking down this cast list, you know, Jimmy Stewart, Claude Rains, Thomas Mitchell, H.B. Warner, they're all names that should you know, be above the title in any other movie. But there's too many of them to cram in. And Claude Rains, I mean, at the beginning, his his character seems fairly likeable. But again, with that mark of a great actor, when you learn to actually hate him as the movie progresses, and he does actually turn very, very nasty. Very, yeah. very oh, nasty towards yeah. the end. Let's just talk about some of the background actors then. Let's talk about Jane Arthur. What about Jane Arthur, mate? Well, I think that her performance is actually one of the underrated elements of this film. I think, rightly, there's a lot of attention on the the story, um, the direction by Frank Capra, the acting of Jimmy Stewart and stuff, but I think Gene Arthur's performance is overlooked in in a lot of that, that um, her talent and how well she does in this film, I think, in in that level of acting in another film yeah. would be um, astounding and would be, you know, get a lot of notice. Whereas in this, I think she, it, it doesn't get that attention. No. But I think it's, what she does is a fantastic job of being um, a foil for um, the Jimmy Stewart's character's optimism and naivety, mm. her cynicism. But also you see a fragility within her um, as well, that this is a hardened exterior that she's developed oh, yeah. as a character. But underneath, you know, there is the, the vulnerability and, and stuff. Um, and that you can see from the expressions that she has on her face and, and stuff, which, you know, a film from this era didn't always give that allowance for yeah. people to be having the, the almost micro expressions in in their performances and particularly not from females who were, who were often expected to just be there and either look good or they were expected to be melodramatic. Yeah. Um, the, you know, a subtlety in the performance of a, of a female from this era was not always um, given um, the, the screen time. And, and she does, you know, really, really, really lift this film, um, in my opinion. Mm, I mean, what she is, is a great comic actress. But it's quite sad that she's never mentioned in, say, the same breath as, I don't know, who else would there be? Catherine Hepburn, perhaps, around this sort of time, which was viewed as a, who was viewed as a great comic actress. Um, same with Thomas Mitchell. You know, they're bit part players in this. They are, But they are important sort of cogs in the whole wheel of the story. And Thomas Mitchell is fantastic. I love Thomas Mitchell, particularly his Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and he won the Oscar for stagecoach this year as we said but without these background characters this movie would not be as special as it actually is it's it's not just Frank Capra it's not just Jimmy Stewart as you say it's the whole ensemble cast Um, even down to looking at some of the senators Harry Carey playing the the leader of the senate Um, quite understated performance but he's really good in this because 
a lot of his acting is done without words. He's reacting rather than acting, isn't he? If you see him like chuckling behind his hand or just this little wry smile that he gives when yeah. Smith gets something over pain or, or, or says something that is, is actually quite relevant, you know. Um, yeah, the, the whole cast as a whole, this, this film would not work without all those other actors and actresses. It, it it is you know an ensemble piece even though there are the strong leads mm. in it. Um, it it needs those in the background because I mean it, you know you couldn't have the film without having those characters course, in there so yeah. they have to be there so yeah. and if their performances weren't any good it would drag the the rest of the film down so absolutely and and again it's a subtlety a lot of the time in in the performances like you say the, the sort of the wry smiles and the, mm. the sort of the glances to the side. Um, and knowing looks that are there to allow us to to see that the people in this film, some of them are a part of what's going on in one way or another, either as far as his quest for redemption or or um, his damnation. And you know these these are the performances that do lift it above being more smoky and perhaps failing as a film. Um, which, you know, as you say, is, is partly down to Frank Capra pulling in some of his usual um, favourites, his usual um, yeah. sort of troupe of, of performers. Yeah. I mean, the story progresses. We're not going to do this scene by scene because we would be here all day breaking this no. down. But, you know, the, the plot develops and we see the usual machinations of politics and underhand dodgy dealings and things going on. And it gets to the point where... He's so disillusioned with the whole thing, he's going to run away. He's yeah. actually going to throw it all away. But it's Gene Arthur that sort of talks him round, isn't it? Is it Gene Arthur that mentions the filibuster? If he can hold the floor um, without yielding, um, well, it's, it, well, it's to it's, postpone, it's about, it's to postpone the bill, isn't it, or something? Is that how well, it it's, works? It's, he's had the sort of the inquiry hearing where he's had no defence because of all the trumped-up evidence against yes. him. So he is, you know, he leaves that and, and sort of runs off with the intention of just running back. Um, and then she, you know, basically appeals to him on, on the grounds of com- comparing his fight for redemption back to um, his, uh, you know, his idols, which, you know, the founding fathers and, and such, uh, about supposedly their their quest for um, their ideals against, you know, the might of, uh, of a, a larger power. And he then takes that as for him to return to the Senate. And although he's just about to be um, thrown out, mm. he, you know, he still has the opportunity to, to say something before he actually is disbarred, as it were. And that's when she, you know, points out to him from the gallery that he can use the filibuster, and, and, and he yeah. does. 25 is, hours, isn't it? I yeah, which is, which is, yeah, supposedly to give him time to, to get the messages of public support to show that he... You know, he has won, won the day in that respect. Mm. And he uses but, his, uh, his newspaper back home, doesn't he? This is the thing. He, The troops are rallied round back home with the Boy Scouts or the Boy Rangers. To... That, that's the thing, yeah, because the powers that be control all the rest of the media. Exactly. Meaning that it's, it, it turns the state against him. Yeah. But there are the, the, the Boy Scouts that he manages to use his own um, method of actually getting out um, the truth, the, the truth mm. um, which does... Does does do some good, but still, uh, you know, the, the the weight of a public opinion in his own state is against him. Yet, you know, um, there there is um, 
a further turnaround with regards to the other people within the um, the plot. Yeah, and that whole filibuster scene is is a piece of classic Hollywood, mate, isn't it? I know we're talking about nineteen thirty nine and classic movies, and that is often brought up, isn't it, on clips of like classic movies? And it's like it's Jimmy Stewart standing there holding the Constitution with his tousled hair and tire skew and just the hoarse voice and even the bit where he collapses and faints with exhaustion at the end of it quite rightly has gone down in history and as we said if it wasn't for the fact that Gone with the Wind and all these other movies were about he was a definite shoe in to win Best Actor that year yeah yeah and it is a you know a classic scene it's it's you know in many ways, uh, a reference point for the, the filibuster um, tactic in ma- many democracies, where you know it's basically reading the phone book, or, or in <laughs> his case, the Constitution yeah. um, of the United States, meaning that you know he's, he's as long as he's not yielding the floor, then he can stay stay there and speak for as long as um, he wants to. And mm-hmm. as I say, it's it's, it's delaying. It's a delaying tactic. Um, that he uses um, to his advantage to try and get the public support or a change of opinion, rather than just to talk something out of out of existence, which obviously is something that the way the tactic is used in our our apartment. But mm. um, yeah, the, the the actual visual um, resonance that that has in in plenty of other clips and and also repeated in other films that that sort of sweaty, tousled um, and, you know, crumpled appearance of somebody, you know, literally holding themselves up on the podium while they, you know, they try to carry on um, is iconic. Yeah, it is. It's it's just one of those classic images from, as I say, the golden age of Hollywood. Towards the end, we, we spoke earlier about myself having not seen this as many times as most other Jimmy Stewart films and the fact that I was a bit surprised at certain things or I'd missed things previously. I'd completely forgotten that after all the the waste bins full of letters come in to the Senate onto the floor and he collapses at the you know after he goes through all these these letters and stuff. Claude Rains leaves the chamber and tries to kill himself. I'd forgotten that completely. Yes, yeah. There's, um, I say that. I mean, I remember that that there was more involvement of, of use of the pigeons there. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, to circumvent the, um, the the control of the the communications. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately this does hinge upon a change of heart by um, his character yes. um, in order to, to do the right thing. A bit of a confession, um, isn't there, at the end? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's an interesting take, take to put on it because um, ultimately that means that the, the entire career and the enti- entire trajectory of the, um, of the plot for Jimmy Stewart's character hinges upon one person having a change of heart rather yeah. than what he's done himself. Yes. Um, changing the the course of events although it's bought time ultimately um the weight of opinion isn't changed strong enough in the the his own state to mean that he he, he does win the day it it is the appeal to the better nature um that's been quite deeply buried um yeah in 
in Claude Rains' senator that, that does change that and, and the confession from it, you know, okay, I think you know, Jimmy Stewart does turn does have a handle in that because he, of the way he references his father to the face of him literally jabbing his finger in his mm. face talking about his but um but still it that is is something that I think, you know, I tend to forget watching it is where the the, the change in the outcome happens rather than it being um, the change in public opinion. It's quite relevant today, isn't it? As you said, you know, in, in today's political climate, there's there's a lot to take away from this movie, apart from the fantastic direction, the fantastic acting, even the music. Can we did even mention that? You know, a massive name oh, at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, it is relevant, and I think that the you know, I think that although. There are some elements that wouldn't transfer because of, you know, the methods of communication and like that, I think, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't fit with nowadays. But I think the overall theme um, of the the corruption in politics, the control, um, the, the media's involvement in it, I, I think all of that vested interest, I think all of that, is very much relevant to today in, in, in many countries, our own, the United States and, and plenty of other countries. So I think this is still a relevant film, yeah. as well as it, it still is a film that keeps our, our attention as far as um, the quality of it in, in classic terms. Yeah, and I mean, even the timing of its release, it was October 39, so war had been declared like the month before, well, certainly from, from the UK's point of view. But even back then, you know, the 30s, the, the American people probably still trusted, like, implicitly the whole, that whole system. And to have this thrown at them on a big screen must have been an eye-opener as well. You can imagine people, like, questioning the people they're trusted and voted for. And it's quite brave of Capra to actually go down that road and do it. I think that, the, you know, this, this era within... Um Within American politics, it was you know not to get too too deep and get into a a lecture with, with you. Um, <laughs> there, there's you know it, there's eras of politics within the United States, and this was really a, a transitional era where it was coming in with the the as far as party politics changing. We they just got past the stage where there'd been the beginnings of the change of the um, the Democrats and the Republicans basically changing changing sides as far as, um, you know, left and right leading, leaning, well, as, as left and right as they get. Um, but, mm-hmm. of course, this this was a time when they still had um, very much trust in their political leadership in majority because of, you know, the, the fact that FDR had just pulled the um, the political establishment together to, to basically pull them out of the Depression era. And that, uh, that was... There was that, and then there was the rising patriotic feeling because of the the shadow of war. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, the timing of this film was was incredibly important. Yeah, and as I say, it's just only gone to enhance its reputation. If I was to try and give this a rating, there's nothing in this movie that's preventing me from giving it the five stars. Uh, I watched it for on the on the big screen for the first time which when we get to your rating system, I want to hear what you think about watching it on a TV or a cinema. And for me, as I say, I found a lot more in it this time round. I became more involved this time round, whereas before I think I just sort of had it 
wash over me previously. Oh, it's a Frank Capra, Jimmy Stewart movie. We know Jimmy Stewart can act. You know, it's just it's nothing special. The man can act his socks off in every single movie he's in, as far as I'm concerned. And this was just one of those upper top tier Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra movies for me. But it certainly was my best viewing of it, my most enjoyable viewing of it this time round. And and as I say, there's nothing preventing me from giving it five stars. Top top ten movie, well, top twenty movie for me possibly. So, your rating system? Yeah, I'd say that there's, despite a lot of films from this era, um, not necessarily needing the big screen with regards to catching detail yeah. of what what is on screen because they often didn't have too much detail in there in the background. It was often you know folk focal point was the acting that was going on the main main thing i still think that this is one of the ones that would actually probably benefit from being seen on the bigger mm-hmm. screen because of the the it's the, the the largeness of the um performances and this the, and, and what's actually happening i think that that would benefit from being seen uh, enlarged as well. Yes. Um, that's not to say it can't be in, enjoyed um, smaller. I mean, I watched it on a whatever a, a fifty odd inch TV screen. Yeah. Um, and still uh, enjoyed it, and um, it would still resonate with people and be enjoyable on on a smaller screen. But I can understand this as a, some kind of celebratory performance um, in some cinema um, having an enormous benefit to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so um, it's but it's one that I would say that one of these films that people should see at least once in their life because of not just because of the the relevance to to what's going on in in <laughs> um, contemporary politics, but but because of the the performances, the direction, and also I think for what it means for cinema, um, yeah. this it's definitely is a. a a stakeholder in in the ground as far as how these kind of things can be done, and I think it's been tried many times afterwards and and not got right. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Nobody's tried to remake it as well. That's the sign of a true classic. If uh, people dare, wasn't there a TV movie of it? Was there? Uh, oh, there or might a TV series of it. Really? Um, wow, that's that's yeah, that's possible. Um, <laughs> But you know what? In the sixties, yeah, I'm just looking oh. now. In the sixties, there was a TV series of it, and then there was a TV movie remake in um, 2017. I've got it here. Yeah, I've just had a look. Yeah. So, and um, I, I don't feel particularly inspired in, to watch either of those. Well, there's so, a, there's another here. I've just seen at the bottom of the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, there's Fess Parker and Sandra Warren in the TV series, but the film was a loose re. Sorry, the film was also loosely remade as The Distinguished Gentleman in 1992, starring Eddie Murphy. Ah. I remember that. Yeah, I do know you mention it now. I remember hearing about it. I haven't watched it. Yeah. And I don't feel I'm particularly missing out by not having watched it. Exactly. Um, exactly. It, 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 it kind of has a, a, a strange, sick fascination to actually watch it. Yeah. To think how bad could it be yes but and why still yeah, yeah and, and the question you know all the way through just going why 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 but um i think there's too many other good films out there to watch without actually delving into that in my opinion exactly, so. my friend, exactly. Yeah. now then that was mr smith goes to washington 1939 we've made a little agreement that you are going to be 
a fairly regular co-host on this show, my friend. You know, every sort of two or three episodes, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna lend your your thoughts and your wisdom to certain reviews. So, with that in mind, let's take a short break, and we'll be back with what we're going to be watching together next time. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. So, Stephen, about two or three episodes' time, you're going to join us again, which is going to be marvellous. Um... I'm saying marvellous. It all depends on what you're going to bring to the table. <laughs> but you've not let me down so far. What, what, right. are we going to be, what are we going to be talking about, mate? Well, we're going to um, skip ahead about 15 years okay. um, or so. Um, maybe slightly less. But, and it's, uh, it's, it's going to be um, a film set during the um, Second World War, so just uh, just after the Mr Smith was, was um, set. It's set in a, a, a prisoner of war camp, in fact. Um, so you, you get in there. Is it, get... is it Billy Wilder? It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> William Holden. Just, might, yeah. Might yeah, William Holden. <laughs> yes, and for those that haven't guessed, unlike my dear Scott, mm-hmm. um, it is Stalag 17. Oh. Do you know, I think I've only seen it once. Right. And that would have been five or six years ago, possibly. And again, it's one of those ones that you've, you've done it again. Why have I not watched this movie so many times before? I like that idea. Stalag, yeah. yeah, I, like I mean, uh, Billy Wilder, I mean, he's known for a, a number of, of films, obviously, that we know and, and you've um, reviewed. Or, yeah, more or comedies, I think, I associate uh, Billy Wilder with. Yeah, a bit yeah, of lighter and, stuff. Um, yeah. um, and a, a film, actually, soldiers in the war in... in Prisoner of War camp just seems outside his um, his remit, but mm. um, we'll see how well he did with that. Although I think we already have our opinions. I think we know um, he did okay. Didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to that one, mate. Fantastic choice as always. This has been the stinking pause. Just a quick reminder: I don't normally do this, but we do have a Facebook group. Come along and find us. Come and join in with the conversation. Now and again, we do get a bit of chit chat going there. And we are on Twitter at Stinking Pause if you want to follow us as well. Stephen, thank you so much for being here today, mate. My pleasure. I will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Cheers. Bye bye. Will do. Take care. The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Astrid, I'm stepping infernal jamboree. It's worse than two cats on a fence. You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said, don't wear a frown, try positive thinking, laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look on the bright side, on hope so much depends, with your confidence sinking. 
positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring. No glancing back, try positive thinking. Trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good, strong, positive thinking, we'll get together and life won't let us down. Shut up, you ugly bitch. Oh, shut up, we enjoy it.